Parenting in the NICU can be quite overwhelming. One of the first tasks parents face is to understand the role of the many different medical professionals treating our baby. From neonatologists to respiratory therapists to specialists like pediatric ophthalmologists, there are so many faces it takes a while to learn and understand everyone's role. Joining us now to help us better understand the role of neonatal therapist in the NICU is Sue Ludwig. Sue is a licensed occupational therapist who has been practicing in the NICU at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center for over 20 years. She is passionate about improving quality of life for NICU babies. She is the president and founder of the National Association of Neonatal Therapists, and she received the Individual Contribution to Maternal and Child Health Award from the National Perinatal Association. Welcome, Sue. Thank you so much for joining us for our NICU Now audio support series. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks so much for asking me and for having me here. I'm excited to talk to your audience. Very much so. Well, Sue, as adults, many of us have had to see a physical therapist to rehabilitate after an injury. We may have worked with a speech therapist when we were young if our speech was delayed. But to those new to the NICU... It may seem a little odd that our little tiny babies need speech therapy when they they clearly cannot speak. And even more strange is that they may require occupational therapy uh, when they're probably not going to have a job for more than a decade. Uh, I know that's a little joke on occupational therapy, but I really didn't know. I didn't know what occupational therapy meant. I had heard of physical therapy and, of course, speech therapy, but I didn't know why I needed these therapists in the NICU. I didn't know their role. So I was hoping you could start with just explaining to us a little bit about the different roles that the therapists play in the NICU. Why are they so important? Yeah, that's a great place to start because it is confusing. Um, It sounds very strange. The question we get all the time is, why does my baby need these things when they can't yet speak or walk or talk and and everything? So, you know, just as I'll kind of start with all three of us wrapped together and then maybe explain a little bit about each discipline. So, so basically our role collectively as, as neonatal therapists is really to assess and support your baby's development. So while the doctors and nurses and respiratory therapists and everyone are supporting your baby's overall medical health, we are looking at things like how your baby responds to the environment, how they move, what they're soothed by, what appears to be stressful to them, whether they're developing as we would expect for their age. And by age, I mean every single week of their development. So, you know, 23, 24, 25 weeks, each week um, things look a little different to us. So we would want to make sure that we feel like everything is moving on track. And so we also have expertise in feeding and swallowing. So you might see us when it's time for your baby to learn to breast or bottle feed to make sure that they're safe and that that's a pleasurable experience for all of you. So as far as the different roles, just in kind of a quick glance, as a speech pathologist uh, in the NICU, they would work, look at things through their lens, which instead of it being more about speech, like you might see in older children, typically in schools and things, they would be focusing on a couple things. One is feeding and swallowing. So they have a lot of expertise 
in that area, in the NICU. And especially then if, if there needed to be any other tests about swallowing, they would be very expert in conducting those as well. They also, because they're speech, speech and language pathologists, they also are just looking at early brain development and bonding and, and really developing early communication between the parent and infant. So that might sound weird when you're not you know, having a conversation with your baby in the NICU, but there's so many things about the environment of the NICU and everything that go into helping your baby have the right environment in which to take in language and things like that, that they're really going to be paying attention to that. And then for physical therapists, and just like their name would state, um, they're going to really be looking at your baby's development from, you know, how are they moving? What is their muscle tone development like? And how the environment of the NICU and how we interact with them is affecting that uh, muscular development and skeletal development and head shape and all the things that kind of go along with that. And then occupational therapists, you know, so for all OTs, you know, occupation really means to do. And so we look at what is the baby's occupations, which are to eat and grow and develop and bond. And so we would be, uh, again, looking at how your baby is developing kind of that head-to-toe neurodevelopment and eventually feeding as well. But that really the, our biggest role collectively is that we want to take all that knowledge and really, and really educate the parents because all of what we are looking at is only really meaningful if we're sharing it with the parents to empower them to be able to kind of see through our lens and understand their own baby's development and cues and, and everything like that. So does that make, does that make sense at least in, at a glance there? Yes, I think that is a very good description. And I think I see now more than ever what an important relationship that is between the neonatal therapist and the parents, because I think you play a very strong role in helping us learn about our babies and get to know them and begin the bonding process and help be a part of their care, integrating us into their care. So I see that as a very valuable and important partnership between the therapist and the parent. Yes, it is. It's, it's, uh, it's, you know, really we're helping set your baby up on the best developmental path. And that really starts in the NICU and not after the NICU. And so we want you to know everything you can about your baby every single step of the way, because it will really help you in the NICU and beyond. Well, let's talk a little bit more about bonding. So what can a parent do if they're not able to hold their baby yet? I know that you specifically work with families and and show them how to touch their baby and interact with their baby. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So a lot of times, you know, if, if your baby is maybe too fragile on a certain day or for a certain period of time to, you know, take out of the incubator and hold or do skin to skin, uh, some of the things that we would help you with is is learning what different kinds of holding you can do. So if you're unable to, you know, take your baby out of bed, one thing that you can do is is really hold them in bed, meaning that you can take both of your hands and put one on their head and one on their little behind and on their feet kind of together and really just kind of hang out there with a nice firm touch um, because what that does is, the babies typically will kind of sink into that type of human touch and it's really comforting to them. And so they respond to that type of touch much better than sort of light stroking touch is sometimes 
too overstimulating for them. And so that nice firm touch where you're just hanging out like that or, you know, even a hand on their back and things like that where you're just still is really comforting to your baby's system uh, instead of, you know, making them more stressed. And so that is a great way to just be, you know, standing or sitting at the bedside in that type of hold. Some other things that you can do bonding-wise is obviously skin-to-skin, which you guys may have talked about before. Also putting something in the bed with your baby that smells like mom is always a great idea as well. And, you know, talking to your baby just, you know, in mom, in that sing-songy sort of maternal voice, and dads too, (laughs) but they are learning language, you know, while they're in the NICU. And so talking to them is a fabulous thing to do. And you just watch your baby. And if it seems like it's comforting to them, continue. If they ever seem stressed by it, you can always just take a little break. Reading to them is also great. But but also just doing things that are regular parenting. So as you're comfortable and as the nurses and therapists help you, you know, changing diapers for sure, taking temperatures. So really doing things where you are parenting your baby like that during those routine things that happen all day long is just a fabulous way to bond with your baby. I thought that you brought up a really interesting point about their hearing. They can hear us. They know our voices. But tell us developmentally where our babies are in the NICU. What can they hear and feel and taste and smell? Kind of give us a guide to knowing our babies and what they're taking in right now. Sure. And, and this is fascinating stuff to me uh, because, you know, I think we, we think of the baby in the womb as sort of all protected in there. But this, these things are happening there and they happen outside. So your baby, whether they are you know, at any sort of age in the NICU, you know, mostly their their vision is going to be fairly limited to a lot of, you know, light and dark and, and big shapes, you know, and they will get a little bit better with their vision. You know, I would say when you're starting, you know, 33, 34, 35 weeks, you'll start to see them really more looking at you. Um, and they're able to kind of focus a little bit more on, you know, objects and things. Um, they don't really need you to be giving them a lot of visual things to look at or anything, but looking at you is the best thing ever <laughs> uh, as a parent. And then, and then hearing wise, uh, any baby who's, you know, in the NICU uh, should be able to just as far as their development should be able to hear by then. And so, you know, they are hearing your voices, but they're also hearing a lot of that background noise from the NICU. So it's great when the background noise can be low enough so that your baby can hear your speech and the staff speaking to them because that helps them develop language. When, when there's a really loud background in the NICU, it's harder for them to decipher anything meaningful of that sound. So it's, that's why we want NICUs to stay quiet in the background. And it's just less stressful overall, but it does affect that language. So they are hearing things. They're just, unlike us, they can't really tune things out. So, you know, we might be able to have like the radio on in the background over here and have something else and we can kind of tune things in and out, but they're really not capable of that yet. So we have to kind of make sure that the environment isn't too stimulating. Um, but talking to them and reading to them is great for their language development. And then taste-wise, they can typically taste bitter and sweet. So they, you will see them scrunch their faces up if there's something that's bitter and you can tell that if they are happy, whether it's colostrum or breast milk or anything that is sweet, that they are able to, to perceive that. 
And then touch-wise, you know, they, they are able to, you know, take in that touch. It's just that, again, how we touch them is something we'd love to teach parents so that you can feel comfortable that the way you're touching them is really comforting, right? But the thing that I love about how their senses are developing is that we really can't fool them in that they know who you guys are. <laughs> so as staff, you know, we can talk to your baby and all of that, and it's still meaningful, but they already know your voices. They already have that experience of what you smell like. Um, the amniotic fluid that they were in uh, has certain flavors in it and things that are like mom. And so mom's scent is a very powerful thing. So it's just really fascinating that, you know, you are wired to take care of your baby um, and for your baby to know you. And so I just want parents to, I know it can be really hard when, you know, there's all these different people taking care of your baby, but they do know who you are. Well, Sue, you mentioned um, about how important smell is, and we know a little bit about, you know, the scent cloth and uh, exchanging the scent cloth back and forth between the mom and the baby and how calming that can be and important in milk production. But I also know it's important for us to not wear too heavy a perfume or have cigarette smoke on our clothing. Can you just expand on that at all? While mom's scent is very powerful to the infant, that's just your regular scent, you know, you as a person. So what we have to be careful of is that uh, wearing anything that would be really, um, could be perceived by your baby as being overstimulating. So things that have like a powerful perfume, even a lot of lotions that might have a lot of perfume in them, um, or perfume itself, or cigarette smoke. And so when you when you're coming in to, to see your baby um, and you're going to hold your baby or any, just be around your baby at all, it's important to kind of have a neutral environment as far as smell, meaning that there's, you know, not a lot of those powerful smells because whether it's perfume and we think it might smell good or whether it's cigarette smoke, to the baby, all of those things can be, not, can be what we would say is noxious. You know, it's just too much. It's overstimulating. So we would really want to be careful that, we're just sort of uh, odor neutral, you know, that we're not wearing a lot of really fragrant lotions and perfumes and and or have cigarette smoke because with those little developing lungs and then when you're putting your baby on, on your chest or you're just in their environment, that can be a very overwhelming and stressful experience for them. So you yourself, great scent, <laughs> just not, not nothing added, you know, nothing needed. <laughs> Okay, no Chanel in the NICU. I want to go back and just talk for a second about the neonatal therapist working with our baby. Would we expect the therapist to work with our baby if we have a late-term preemie? Do they only work with babies that have challenges or perceived challenges, or are they going to assess all the babies in the NICU? That's a great question. Typically, in, in most NICUs, the therapist will assess assess almost every baby, meaning that uh, the younger the baby, for sure, like there might be some instances where they'll see every baby born under a certain weight or under a certain gestational age, um, but it's not because there's something, quote, wrong or that it doesn't mean, so if a therapist is coming to see your baby, it's not like, uh-oh, you know, what, what's wrong? Um, it's really preventative in nature. So when we are doing our best work, it is from the beginning. So most of the time, we would be starting, we would start to see babies in the first days or week of life. And the reason is, is that we want to 
look at their development from the beginning so that we know what's typical for your, your baby and also that we can support their development all the way through. So there are things that we are kind of helping to facilitate in their development, and that means that we start in the very beginning. So, for example, in the old days, back when I started in the NICU over, you know, 20 years ago, therapists did not start working with with really young gestational age babies right away because they were kind of deemed too fragile for us. And so, but then what happened was that by the time that we saw them, even in the NICU, uh, there were already, we would notice things like, you know, they already had developed muscle tightness in their shoulders and their hips. Uh, They might have already had some flattening on the sides of their head, or they might have developed some, you know, poor feeding habits or techniques when we weren't necessarily involved. And the baby's just trying to compensate, but we, there wasn't anyone paying attention to the developmental piece of feeding. And so, so what we found in those days was that by the time we saw babies in the NICU, we wished we'd seen them earlier because we could have prevented a lot of those things. So over that my career, that that focus has really shifted to where we don't wait for someone to say, oh, I think this baby needs a referral for therapy because I see this problem, which is how it is sort of in the rest of the therapy world. But in the NICU, we kind of start out saying, well, let's, let's prevent uh, those problems and also let's help support them all along the way. Um, and so we're typically involved from the beginning and then throughout the NICU stay. If your baby is born at, you know, 35 weeks or, or greater, we, it just really depends. Um, some units will see every single baby in the NICU, and some units, if you're a little bit on that older cusp, you may or may not see a therapist. How important is it for us to continue therapy for our babies once they go home? Yeah, so it's really important. And, you know, this is something that I feel like isn't stressed enough to parents, honestly. In most states, there are early intervention programs and then kind of outpatient therapy centers and things. But I think it's very important to at least begin to explore or start early intervention with your baby uh, after they're discharged from the NICU. Mostly in that same way I was just discussing in the NICU is that your baby is going to continue, you know, to develop. And having those therapists involved all along will help keep your baby sort of developmentally more on track. But more importantly, as a parent, they will be teaching you, like, it's really fun, actually, (laughs) because they would be teaching you, okay, now your baby's in this three-month range, say, you know, after term. And here's the things you can be expecting that they would be developing. And here's some things that you can do as a parent to really help them get there because things don't just show up. You know, they, the, the skills that your baby's developing build on other skills. And so we want to make sure you know all the steps to those skills and we can show you how to incorporate those into just play time and into bonding time and into feeding time. And, and it's really fascinating to then watch those skills emerge that you have supported as a parent. But it's the having the therapist involved, again, is really helpful instead of kind of waiting and then seeing if, you know, your baby would need therapy, I would always recommend just having that presence as a continuation of the NICU. And then certainly if your baby no longer needs those services at some point, 
you know, they, that'll just be a discussion and, and the, you'll move on from there. But it's very helpful in those first months and first few years of life to set them on a, on a really great path. I really enjoyed working with Jackson's therapist after the NICU. I, she really did teach me how to integrate the therapy into everyday occurrences. So during the diaper changing and during the feeding, uh, like you said, and how to make those play times, we were, were kind of, we were working, but it was fun, right? And so Jackson never knew the difference and neither did I. So she really taught me fun, fun things to play with him and encouraged different toys. And just, it was a really integral part in his early development. So I was really thankful for that. So I hope that parents take take advantage of any of the free services available to them. And if they're not able to access the services they feel their child needs, I encourage them to, you know, get their pediatrician to provide the referrals uh, so that they can have their baby followed after the NICU. Yeah, it is really fun. I mean, I think in the therapist, I think we're kind of wired to, we're so into what we, what, what we're helping parents with, I think that, you know, it's fun to think of things like, you know, teaching parents like, oh, when you're doing tummy time at home, part of those skills are going to later help your baby with their fine motor skills and their writing. And that seems like the weirdest thing ever when you just say that, but it's really fun as a therapist to then take a parent through why that, why that is and why those skills are going to lead to other skills later that you're not going to need till they're, you know, two and three and four years old. But it's really it's really just sort of fascinating how all the development works. And, you know, I guess we're kind of geeky that way. We'd love to share all of that with you so you can kind of really understand what's going on at that level. It's really fun. Well, I also think it's just empowering for the parent. I mean, there's so many of the medical things that we cannot do because we don't have medical background and training, but these are some of the things that can be taught to us to do as directed by uh, the developmental specialist and therapist. So your, your teaching the parents is so, so important and empowering us and helping us feel confident in integrating that therapy is very, very valuable. So I think you have a very unique perspective in the NICU as you work with parents. And so it just wanted to ask you from your perspective about, you know, bonding with our babies and the challenges we face and kind of the toll that that does take on family. So just a little bit of your 20 years of practice, kind of what parents do you see that fare better? What are the things that they have done to be more comfortable in the NICU, more integrated into the care, and then those that really have challenges? In the time, care has changed a lot in the time that I've been in the NICU. And from a time when parents were, there were strict visiting hours and parents were truly kind of seen as visitors and, and all of those things to really this, you know, family centered, family integrated care where, where finally the NICU world understands that the best thing that we can be doing for the baby on all counts is, helping preserve the the bonding and relationship with the parents. And so just that concept alone has led to so many changes from a 24-hour visitation or 24-hour, I hate the word visitation, um, because it's your baby, but 24-hour access. And and then, you know, really even like the practice of skin-to-skin holding, which used to, again, only happen, quote, after your baby was stable and after all these things were in place. And now 
you know, it has been moved back to, you know, doing skin to skin holding, you know, when your baby is on a ventilator, when your baby is, you know, in a different place medically, even how as a parent, that is so good for the baby to be skin to skin. They sleep better on mom. They get into this amazing deep sleep. They're typically more stable on mom than they are in the bed. So we've learned so much about the vital importance of the infant parent bond and, and supporting it with our policies and our guidelines and all of these things have, but it has taken really all this time, to be honest, for, for those practices to really be, I can't think, become a standard of care in, in the NICU involving parents and, you know, feeding from the beginning and earlier and earlier and all these things that have really, and, and parents just parenting, you know, so I think in the, in the past, in the way long past, you know, a lot of parents felt very in the way at the bedside. And I know some of that still happens. I'm not living in, uh, you know, I live in reality, um, but, uh, but some of that perception and reality still happens. But I think in the past it was, it was truly like a barrier. And now uh, I think that definitely the approach is um, how can we help you care for your baby? How can we help you learn all of these skills um, and be involved from the beginning? But, but I think that just in, I think I'm an observer by nature. So I've been watching you guys <laughs> for 20 years. And um, I think, you know, I just, from my perspective, some of the things that seem very difficult and, and that I would, I would sort of beg you to get support around um, actually is one is just the separation, right? So just that separation right at birth. And then, you know, again, it hits you when you have to be discharged from the hospital and then it hits you when you're, you know, driving and coming back and forth and all of that. And, and the toll that takes on you and your baby is, is huge. And I can literally just see that in, in you. And so as much as possible to have support around you that allows you to, whether it's, you know, transportation or whether it's emotional support, whether, you know, all kinds of support to help you as much as possible be there uh, with your baby um, is fantastic because I think that that is still one of the hardest things that I see you guys deal with. And the more you're physically connected to each other, like skin to skin and physically taking care of your baby, it seems to, and Kelly, you can probably comment on this, of course, but it, that seems to at least take the edge off of that feeling of separation is one thing. And then I think also, um, you know, giving, just giving yourself permission to grieve that and that it's not just I think a lot of parents they kind of if they get through the the roller coaster of of survival sometimes in the beginning that then everything else they feel like I mean this is what parents have reported to me anyway is that then they kind of feel like they should buck up because everything else is in comparison not as bad as that period of time or that they should kind of be over it and now your baby is healthier and doing better and now they're just you know, all they have to do is learn to eat and all these perceptions. But what I think I would beg you to just give yourself permission to say everything that is unlike what I expected feels like loss. And so each of these milestones, each of these things, you know, that I remember a mom once saying she had uh, twins and 
they were what we would consider very healthy preemies, you know. And I remember her, we were sitting down to work on breastfeeding and bottle feeding and things, and she was so tearful, and she was saying, you know, I just, like, we got through that other part, but now, like, now feeding is a thing, too. Like, I thought I was going to exclusively breastfeed. I thought I was going to do this. I thought I was going to do that. And now this has to be different too. And so I think as professionals, we have to really honor each of those steps as something different and help support you through each of those pieces. And, and I think Kelly, you know, what a lot of what hand to hold does is, is really provide that parent to parent support and also the resources to say to support parents in all of these ways I'm going to talk about because as professionals we can do our best but we also can't understand a lot of times what it's like to be you and so getting that support that is up here is sometimes really really helpful and then I think that in in kind of on piggybacking on that I think what I hear from parents most or what I've observed is that no one out you know in your regular life kind of gets it you know that and I've, I think I've heard you say that before like the people that aren't in the NICU, don't really understand what it's like to have a baby in the NICU. And so a lot of the NICU staff over time can really start to feel like family because they at least understand, you know, like the environment that you're living in. They understand that it's a total celebration when the NG tube finally comes out and stays out. They realize that there are these ups and downs that are very unique to that experience. Milestones, helping us celebrate those milestones. Absolutely. I think we've come a long way. And, and Kelly, you probably, how, how does it compare how you think those things are now compared to even when you were in the NICU? Oh, it's transformational. Transformational. Jackson's uh, now 16. And I think, you know, therapy was really new to the NICU when he was born. And now they have, you know, multiple therapists uh, that are in the unit every day and so integrated into their care. So I think it is so, so valuable for the baby's development, but also empowering and teaching us as parents how to be part of their care and what to look for when they go home, just making it such an important part of our role in parenting. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to know. Is there from what you hear now about, you know, and not, sorry, I'm at asking you a caregiver question, but is there, if you could pick a place where we could get better, do you have a thought on, as far, not just therapists, but as, as NICU professionals, is there, is there a huge gap somewhere that we're sort of still not great at in that, in that helping promote bonding and attachment? Well, I think it's just always important to kind of come back to remember on a regular basis that each family is very unique and uh, we have our own set of challenges. I think for anyone who's been practicing a long period of time, we all these families can probably start to blend together and you can get a little a, a little hard out, outer shell <laughs> and 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 you you have to too because that's your job you know you're you're practicing medicine and therapy and you're there to focus on the baby but really understanding that the care of the baby remains the care of the entire family and how important it is just to remember that these babies you've been caring for uh, for weeks or months are going home with these parents. And so for 
them to reach their milestones and to have the very best opportunities after the NICU. The parents have to be integrated into their care and be bonded with the baby and be healthy emotionally and with the family intact after a NICU stay. So I think just for the, the NICU professionals to, to remember that and remind themselves of that uh, on a regular basis is so important. That's great, great advice. Thank you. Well, Sue, thank you again for joining us for our audio support series. It means so much to me that you took time to be a part of this, and I'm just delighted. I know it will be very beneficial for all the families who got to listen. Well, thanks for inviting me, and and to all the parents out there, hang in there. You are an inspiration to all of us, and uh, we've got your back. Thanks so much, Kelly, for inviting me today. Thank you. Bye, Sue. Bye-bye. Our quote of the day is from an unknown author. Big things often have small beginnings. In order for NICU babies to thrive after discharge, they need smart, informed parents who understand their needs and are emotionally and physically capable of caring for a medically fragile child. Peer-to-peer support is an effective tool for helping parents navigate their NICU stay. Support from a caring and informed NICU graduate parent helps a new family feel more capable, confident, and ready to face the journey ahead. To request support, volunteer, or donate, please visit our website at handtohold.org.